Hi, this is Derek with Grim Worlds, and I am here with a reminder and a warning. The following story contains a handful of curse words, and it also might contain some fantasy, science fiction, or horror themes and violence. There might be other adult situations that pop up in these stories as well, so it's important that you listen at your own discretion and peril. And now, a word from our sponsor, and then the story. Hi, I'm Derek. I'm just getting started here on the Grim Worlds podcast and thought I'd take an opportunity to, well, sponsor myself. As you listen to the stories I'm able to provide, I want you to be aware of an additional way you can support the podcast beyond just liking, sharing, or leaving a review. You now have an opportunity to become a patron of the weirdness happening here thanks to Patreon. That's right, neighbors. If you head over to patreon.com slash grimworlds, that's worlds with an S on the end, you'll find several tiers of monthly support for the production that will go towards building the infrastructure and paying both our musicians and authors a fair wage for their hard work. Some of the benefits you can access are higher quality, ad-free downloads of each episode, behind-the-scenes drama as I argue with myself, and they swing all the way up to having the chance to submit your own weird fiction to be performed and a biannual chance to play a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons one-shot adventure with me behind the screen as your dungeon master. I really do appreciate all the support in getting this project off the ground. Please visit patreon.com slash grimworlds and select a tier today. That's patreon.com slash grimworlds with an S on the end and help spread the weirdness. Now, on to the episode. Relax for a second. Before you is a heavy oak door with an ornate iron lock and a lever handle. Now, think about your next action carefully. If you work the handle, if you pull the weight of the door, if you step past the threshold, you will enter a weird and unique space filled with odd mythologies and fey tales from outside of belief. These are the Grim Worlds. My name is Derek Olson, and I'll be your guide, but I won't be your guardian. Careful where you step, and don't lose sight of the door. The darkness goes deeper than you know. The Guardian by Derek Olson Inspired by Aaron Pfizer The fashionable carriage pulled into the coach house while the servant spell slid the rolling door closed behind. Through the curtained carriage window he could see the empty space on the door where the Campion family crest used to hang. Now had gathered dust in one of the unused horse stalls alongside any remaining display of their distasteful family vanity. This was his house now. He smiled, remembering the shock and betrayal on their faces as they realized the world was not assuredly theirs. He and Vanya had taken their time to plan and contact the necessary players. He preferred to plan, preferred it by far over the chaos of the crew they'd left behind. Vanya was hesitant 
but they made sure everything revolved around her goals, that Thran would never obtain the Carthian stones, and that those in the city who traded people like livestock would face an ungraceful and painful fall. They chose to strike the day the Campions assumed they'd triumphed. It was so delicious pulling the sweet treat of victory from between their rotted teeth. The Carthian stones opened a portal directly into the Campion's personal temple to Moloch. Yes, he owed allegiance to Moloch himself, but scheming and planning and survival of the strongest were long tenants to follow along the old god's path. The old goat blessed the venture and gorged itself on the Campion's downfall. Though it was a decade past, the memory of the perfect disruption of their ceremony was crisp in his mind. The Campions were set to trade 100 spirits they'd collected and an equal weight in gold to Moloch, staving off the bargain they'd made with their children's souls. They'd bought their power and influence in the world with the essence of their own children, and he made sure they failed the contract. He remembered the shock on Vaughn and Imelda's perfect faces as Vanya casually tossed two large vials of acid on the stacks of gold. The treasure bubbled and burped into worthless green vapor. Some of the gathered cultists attacked them, but he summoned his glaive, warrior's justice, from the infernal ethers around him. Once he'd cleaved through the first from collarbone to hip, the others held back. Then the carved basalt idol representing Moloch spoke in a booming rumble. The gold was less than the agreed payment. The Campions had failed the bargain. The children's souls were forfeit. Then Moloch's voice turned to a sound like gentle summer grass on a hill and said not to worry. The children were saved. A new deal had been struck. The best memory was the look on Vaughn and Imelda's faces as their complete beings were pulled, molecule by molecule, into the small soul cubes he held in an open palm. The ten years since had been busy and good, and he was nearly content. Opening the coach door startled him out of his revelry. Are you going to rest in here all evening, Uncle? He smiled and looked up. Eliza was nineteen now and a grown woman. She carried an aura of dominion and confidence and easily held a commanding presence in any room. As formidable in personality as her twin brother Tomaine was in the arcane and their older brother Oswald was at combat. It is a comfortable carriage. Council meetings are exhausting. I might just sleep in here all night. Was it that bad? Aunt Vanya always seems invigorated after council. I dislike the chameleon mask and robe we are forced to wear as occult lords. They are no protection against the quibbling and the squabbling. It had to be you. Aunt Vanya had to go with Oswald to the meeting with the ship wardens. If you had gone with him, the pair of you would have decorated the whole dock ward with severed heads on pikes. We know your temper. They have stepped out of line. They deserve the pikes. She responded with a raised eyebrow on the tip of her head, a trick she'd learned from Vanya that he was helpless against. He sighed. All these years and my temper still gets the better of me, he admitted, stepping down from the carriage. They spoke small business while walking through the gardens to the villa, and he held the door for her as they entered the house. 
He'd been here since the victory, raising the children he'd liberated from hell. Vanya, the best business partner he could imagine, had purchased her own property nearby. She'd enjoyed refurbishing her house and redesigning her gardens, and never really understood why he'd only bothered with minimal changes to the villa after claiming it from the Campions. He told himself he kept it the same because it was the children's home. He wouldn't admit maintaining the property was a way of savoring the victory, and it was nearly as good as taking over the Campion's business interests. Banking was lucrative. It gave them a seat at all the tables, and that seat created more opportunity. A few years ago, they decided to pivot into antiquities and art, dealing in artifact magics and rare items. Entering the corner office on the first floor, he tossed the chameleon mask and cape over the arm of a decorative suit of armor. History is cruel. The gold-chased steel plates had once belonged to Eliza's great-grandfather, and now it was his coat hanger. He knew seeing this would drive Vanya crazy. He'd grown up far from here, but she was a dedicated child of the city and relished the title and the subterfuge that came with the magically obscuring costumes. He understood the need for these things. But recently, he'd begun to openly muse about exposing council members and disrupting the entire system. Vanya had already confirmed the identities of 15 members and had suspicions about three others. Rooting out secrets was in her nature, but exposing them without cause was not. Vanya wouldn't hear a word about such chaos and blamed his musings on boredom. He'd been a man of belief once, too. He could understand her feelings, even if they were misplaced. And your meetings today? he asked Eliza. Orban's stance is closed about any dealings with his antiquities group, but he keeps inviting me back to bet on games of chess, and I keep winning. Today, my winnings included his agreement to pass on an inquiry to somebody he calls corporate. This is the best lead we've had on the eye in months. Good work. See you at breakfast, he said, moving to the desk. There were notes to write about the meeting before he forgot the details. Vanya would have his ass if he forgot the details. Uh, Uncle? There is one more... Interruption. Someone is here to meet you. I've had him waiting in the library. Who? His mood immediately turned to storm clouds. She was unperturbed by his mood swings. She'd seen them before and found them predictable and mostly manageable. He'd given no name, but he presented this she said, producing a small drawstring pouch from a hidden pocket in the folds of her dress and tossing it to him. The deep red velvet held a heavy, dice-shaped object he guessed at before pulling the knotted strings and dumping it into his palm. His guess was true and a soul cube tumbled out, but his surprise came as he read the infernal letters scratched on its surface. Vaughn Campion. The cube looked like forged, folded iron swirled with glowing red glass and was heavier than a greatsword in his hand. He closed his fist tight like he was trying to crush it to dust. Malik had taken it as the bargain was struck. Now it was back. Uncle, she asked, accustomed to his anger but realizing this was something different. I was promised. We signed a contract. I was promised leeway to act as I saw fit, and he would turn his attentions away from the city and the whole coastline, and for a while we could do some good. Uncle, who is it? It does not matter. Listen, do not debate with me. Is Thalmain in the study? Yes. Good. Go upstairs and find him. 
Message Vanya and Oswald to spend tonight at the safe house. I want you and Domain to use the circle to go to our keep at High Spear. Go quick. Go now. Just like we taught you. No questions. Even fogged in rage, he had to smile as she reacted to his words. If the ragtag group of heroes he'd followed from the old days had ever listened like Eliza and her brothers, they could have accomplished so much more. The infading thought stopped him. Why were memories of the old days crowding into his thoughts? He'd cleared the group and their misadventures from his plate, but this was the third time this week they'd bubbled into his mind. Why? It had been so long. Once. A fortune teller told him even if he severed his ears, the night goddess would still talk to him. He could make all the ill-forsaken deals possible, and she'd still whisper. Were the thoughts and memories her work? He'd abandoned her by signing Moloch's contract. What intentions could she have for her fallen warrior? Fuck that. He had an unknown threat two rooms over, and this wasn't the time to ponder the gods or their worthless mysteries. He worked through the quick arcane words and gestures to cast a ward over himself and left the office, crossed the entrance hall, and opened the door to the library. The room was quiet. A silver tray filled with an ornate tea service sat on a small table between two wing-back chairs. One cup was filled, now cooled past good, and a few light biscuits were missing from the stack. There was a book balanced on the arm of one chair. He recognized it as the one he'd been reading last night. The title was The Rise and Fall of Acanthus Keep. He'd left it on the podium by the window, not on the chair. His guest had been helping himself. That guest stood facing the northern wall. A hooded cloak covered his head and face, but was thrown back over his shoulders and bundled in arms clasped behind his back. He studied a framed image on the wall. When they'd claimed the villa, there had been huge, gaudy paintings of the Campions hanging there. He'd torn those down and hung in their place a chest-sized framed image holding his greatest failure, Nevis. He wondered if he looked the same every night as he stood and pondered the slightly moving image of the young lady. Many thought it was an enchanted image, the way her red hair seemed to move and gesture, displaying her kinship to fire elementals. The way her eyes would blink, but only when you caught the movement in your peripheral vision. Only he and Vanya knew the truth. Navis was trapped inside a mirror vault. Even with every bit of influence and power they'd amassed, they found none who could even scratch the enchantment. He made a promise to Nevis when she was a little girl. He'd found her in a cage, damaged, abused, and hurt. He'd promised to protect her, promised she'd be safe. He'd failed. He'd trusted the wrong people, and he failed. The figure was so enraptured by the frame, it didn't react to the library door opening and the sound of his footsteps across the rug. Working through his options, he chose to be up front and raised his voice, using a word in hellspeak which translates as both greeting and threat. Hungry. 
The figure startled and tried to hide his surprise by turning and pulling back the hood. Hello, Samane, or whatever name is convenient for you these days. The voice was slick like oil and instantly recognizable. Thran? Before he could control the impulse, the hell-touched glaive summoned into his hand and a word, a whisper's difference from a growl, charged it with searing power. Thran stood his ground, nodded his head in assent, and stretched his arms out, almost lazily, to either side, his palms up, fingers outstretched, a motion telegraphing an arcanist's surrender. You have already killed me once, my devilish friend. Doesn't that make us even? He didn't answer. He stood ready for a trick, resisting the urge to strike. Thran's brow furrowed slightly. It was never fun negotiating with this one. He lacked imagination and his single-mindedness was like digging through stone with a spoon. Still, he could understand why Moloch prized this one's obedience and anger. Employed correctly, he was likely a useful tool. Please, let us sit. I only need to talk. This is not your house. You do not make the invitations. Thran pulled back, pinching his upper lip between his teeth and breathing in. Yes, just so. I have never been good at being the guest, and that makes me doubly uncomfortable today because I am also no good at asking for help. He pulled back his chin, studying his old enemy. For passing through more than a decade, Thran had aged very little, and between that and his uncommon manners, he was difficult to read. Still, tactically, he liked the idea of Thran sitting while he stood. He silently motioned to the chair, and his enchanted glaive faded away, ready to be recalled at an instant. Thran responded, and bowed his head. Gramercy, sir. As he strode the dozen steps across the library to return to his cold tea, Thran turned his head, watching the framed image. It was a curious motion. It was as if Thran didn't want to let the frame out of his sight. Now he understood Thran's reason to sit, but not the purpose. The wingback chair he'd claimed faced the northern wall in the frame. Than, it seemed, wanted to keep Nevis in his sights. So we are clear. I consider that your fault as much as mine. He pointed at the frame. Of that... I have no doubt. His voice was different, lacking power and conviction. He sounded plaintive, and that was surprising. Was it an act? There was a lot of violence, dealings, and history between them, and it was possible, but unlikely. What are you doing here? I have something I need taken care of. He drew Thran's eyes from the frame. I am not an assassin, especially for you. No, gods, no, nothing like that. Let me choose my words. I have an item that needs a guardian, and Moloch told me you'd be exactly perfect. Moloch sent you? Well, of course. Thran hated this lack of ceremony. I will not amend my contract! No, no, no! 
Thran shook his head and wished he were better at speaking to someone of Samain's mentality. This is not a favor. Not to him or to me. This is a job and there is payment and it is straightforward as that. Samain thought for a second. He knew there was a trap somewhere in Thran's words. There always was. He wished Vanya were here. She had a better nose for this sort of thing. Before we talk more, here is the payment. Thran seemed to grab the item out of nothing before flipping it into the air. Samain's hand snapped out, snatching it in a fist before relaxing and opening his fingers. Another soul cube pressed heavy in his hand. He was unaware of Thran's glee as he studied it, unaware of how much pleasure he gave telegraphing his emotions while reading the name imprinted on the cube. Thran loved it, the mixture of fear and nostalgia radiating from his old foe. He was a glutton for these manipulations and treasured watching his prey struggle. He loved the moments when they were caught helpless and knew it at an animal level, but still believed they could escape. The inevitability of watching their belief and reality crash against each other, like ocean water washing into a lava flow and violently steaming off into the air. Reality hardens into rock. But Thran's moment to savor was spoiled by distraction. His eyes slipped past his enemy's standing form to the frame on the wall and the image of Bevis. He wondered if that was a trap he'd set for himself. Camp Foggen? Camp? How? I don't know that. I only know Molex Imps delivered his cube to me when I asked him for help. Than leaned forward and grabbed the edge of the tea tray in his left hand, sliding it to the floor. A tall pot teetered and fell sideways, vomiting out dark fluid and spent leaves, flooding the tray to its walls. In its place, he set an ornate lantern. It was beautiful a rectangular-shaped column of glass with an engraved silver base and cap, and a braided bale handle of silver and gold stretching over the top. He leaned in, the cursed cube forgotten in the moment. Inside the globe, where a mantle or wick should live, there was something weird. It looked like a miniature tower using the globe's glass for walls. Two floors were connected by a spiral staircase with ornate ironwork railings. On the first floor, the furnishings were of a library and a kitchen. Plush rugs covered the parquet wood floors held down by overstuffed chairs and bookshelves. There was a fire banked in the cook stove, books piled on many flat surfaces, and dirty dishes scattered about happenstance. On the second floor, a bedroom filled by a frame and panel bed that overflowed with pillows and blankets. Nearby, a small privy and a dressing room with racks upon racks of gowns and shelves of tiny shoes. His brow furrowed with focus. There was movement in the bed, he was sure of it. He drew breath as the blankets parted like waves for a sea nymph, and a light female figure emerged and began to stretch and move around the bedroom. She was nude and moved with a miniature elven grace, even though she was no taller than his thumb was wide. His eyes flicked from the scene to Thran, hoping to make eye contact and divine some answers. But Thran's attention was not on him. Again, he was distracted by Navisa's prison. 
His eyes shifted focus from Thran's blank gaze to the top of the lantern's bale handle and found the detail he was missing. The gold wire of the braid traced out letters into another familiar name. Bile bubbled in his stomach. He stood from the chair, pulling Thran's attention back to him. Holding out his hand, he summoned Warrior's Justice into his fist. The blade apparated with its sharp edge against Thran's neck. What is the meaning of this? Thran spit out a quick arcane word and discorporated across the room. When his form solidified near the northern wall, his hands were held up in defense. Hold, man! I cannot talk while you're shaving my skin! Talk fast before you die again! This is bigger than me, bigger than us, bigger than this. I have it, but I cannot be its guardian. This is your burden. Again, Thran whispered the words and willed himself to discorporate, this time to the south side of the library. He wheeled on his feet and chased Thran's shadow, his hellfire glaive cocked back to strike. He was finished with listening, and Thran recognized this. You've accepted the payment and the prize. I declare this deal complete. Goodbye, guardian. Thran's dark cloak swirled around him, engulfing his form. The glaive swept into it. A surge of smiting power flowed through the haft and into the broad steel blade. The glaive and its force released into the bookshelf, biting deep into the books where the smiting spell released and exploded the volumes in a flash of radiance. Thran was gone in a quick vortex of blackness, leaving the pages of destroyed books falling through the air and scattering across the ground. Semaine stood frozen in the moment, white knuckles gripping the weapon's haft and his chest pumping rapid deep breaths of rage. He let go of the glaive and bellowed a deep, wordless sound of pain and anger. <coughs> the polearm evaporated into the ethers. Standing straight, eyes closed, head tilted way back to face the ceiling, he took a slow, deep breath before turning back to look at the room. The lantern and the cube on the table, Tristan and Camp, the frame on the wall, Nevis, the locked drawer in the podium held a battered sketchbook. Lyra. It was amazing to have almost all of his failures gathered together in one room. He passed around the room, gathering up the treasures of regret. He carried them out of the library into the basement stairs. In the basement, at the back of the wine cellar, he triggered a secret door opening to even more descending stairs. He trudged through the darkness until he found himself in the cold, dark remains of the abandoned temple to Moloch, the room he and Vanya had invaded a decade ago. As he moved to the front of the temple, his feet disturbed a thick layer of dust on the unused floor. Summoning a flame spell, he relit all of the ever-burning torches and moved to the temple's empty front dais. They'd removed the campion's idol of Moloch, a grotesque marble statue of a young boy, nude and covered from head to toe in crawling flies. 
He set his burdens down carefully on the dais and sat himself on the stone floor before them. His right hand covered his mouth, his cheeks were wet with tears, and his body was drained. He'd only wanted to leave the past behind. He'd negotiated leeway moving into the future, but he'd forgotten to add a provision for his past into the contract. The devil finds a way, finds levers to move mountains, and has the patience of time itself to accomplish the task. Reaching behind his breastplate into a secret pocket sewn into his gambeson, he pulled out a black disc the size of a palm and as thick as his thumb. It was warm to the touch, especially against the cold damp of the underground temple. This was his final boon from Moloch, one of three he won signing his first contract. It represented a final promise, yet unmade, to be kept by his master. He set the boon down on the dais next to the other items and studied the collection. He knew eventually Vanya would find him here, and she might know what direction to walk, but for now, here he was. The Guardian of Failure. Hi, I'm Derek. That story was called The Guardian. It was written by me, Derek Olson, inspired by a request from a good friend, Aaron Pfizer, and based on a popular role-playing game setting. Though all the names were, well, you get it. You know, it's really difficult to follow on the heels of a scene like that and not write something that sounds like ceremony moralizing or virtue posing. The kind of thing where I sound like a motivational poster quoting Thomas Edison as I go on and on about accepting failure as part of the process, and a ton of other really rehashed crap that sounds like a frog in a blender. Neighbors, here is the first Grim World's promise I'm going to make just to break. Outside what gets said in the story, you will never hear any moralizing or judgment from me. I just don't have the time. I accept you for the freak, geek, or streak that you are, and I love you all the same. And if you choose to persecute yourself for your failures, I would never kink shame you. Well, that's it for today, neighbors. If you have a chance, please do all the things. Give us a like, give us a share, give us a boost or a review, or just... Stop and give us a good word at Instagram at GrimWorlds. That's one word with an S on the end. And help just spread the weirdness. The music today was provided by Frequency Collisions and Winter Catan. There will be links to them and our sponsors in the show notes at GrimWorlds.com. For both reason and passion, I'm Derek Olson, and I want to thank you for listening. Be well. <laughs>